Let me ask you, what does it look like to be a grown man? I remember growing up, that was always what people would ask you. What do you want to be when you grow up, right? Um, Some people are still asking me that. Um, But what does a mature, godly man look like? Is that even definable these days? Are there clearly identifiable targets that men should aim for? What does the Bible say? Does the Bible clearly address men? So this one I want you to answer out loud. You ready? Here's the question. Is there a standard for manhood? Is there a standard for womanhood? Yeah, absolutely. God has given us our standard in Scripture. Almost like, almost like the bullseye on the target. Steve, you want to come up, man? So I had an idea this week, and um, I thought about just, you know, talking through this, and then I thought, no way, like, we have like a real life archer in the church, right? So, Steve uh, is great with a bow and arrow. Anybody ever shot a bow and arrow before? My brothers and I did when we were kids, and um, I had a, uh, a shield that was actually like a, a, a wheel off of a car that you'd ride in like this. We had broken the wheel off, and it had a handle, and the, the, the wheel had a hole where the axle was. And I would run around in the yard and squat down behind it and look through the axle hole at my brother while he was <laughs> shooting at me. And uh, one time he went right through the hole and got me right in the head. Um, my mom's here. She just heard this story probably for the first time, right? But anyway, so uh, Steve is a great, he's great with uh, bow and arrow. He actually uh, makes his own arrows, right? right. And uh, he's been working at this craft for a long time. So I thought we'd actually have a real live a demonstration of what it's like to shoot a bow and arrow. So, Steve, what's the goal here? What? Hold on. What's the objective when you're shooting a bow and arrow? What's your objective? Well, I mean, I guess you want to hit the target. <laughs> right, yeah, absolutely. Okay. So, when you shoot, um, how do you know it's a it's a really good shot? Like how, how do you know? Well, oddly, um, when you shoot. Um, you can't control where the arrow goes. Once it leaves the bow, um, it's on its own, right? So all you can really control is what you do as you execute the shot. So um, there's certain things that I know that if I do them right, then the arrow will fly where it's supposed to fly. So um, that's, yeah, that's kind of the process. Very cool, man. Okay. Um, well, let me hold this. You guys want to see him shoot one? Yeah. yeah, I do too. I do too. All right, let me move out of the way. When I asked him to do this, he asked me if I'd bring an apple and stand there with it. I said, no, I don't think so. Uh, so we'll move this out of your way. Okay. And I'm going to move out of the way. Questions while you had it drawn, and I thought maybe not. Um, so, what, 
as you're pulling the, the bow back, I mean, what are you, what's in your mind? What are you thinking? What are you focusing on? What are you looking at? So, yeah, so what I do is, um, is, is I try to be consistent. Every, every time I shoot, I grip the bow the same way. I grip the string the same way. Um, I, I aim, I don't have any sights on this bow. So, uh, I, I mean, I aim by looking at the spot that I want to hit. Yeah. And then, um, and then when I reach anchor, this, this is called anchor. Um, then, but then I, I, I let go of, of all those things I did up to that point. I'm no longer aiming. I'm no longer worried about the grip. And now I just focus on, on pulling, pulling, pulling until my fingers just let go. Okay. So and then that's, it's just release, right? Yeah. Yeah. Have, I you don't, ever, have you ever split an arrow with an arrow? I have, yeah. No way. Yeah. I mean, it was luck, but. <laughs> you want to try it? Sure. One more shot. If I do that, you owe me an arrow. <laughs> Well, that's incredible. I, I really love seeing um, the the hard work and skill. I mean, he's been working at that. How, how long have you been doing that, Steve? Um, since I was about eight years old. So okay. 50 years. Almost 50 years. All right. So he's been working at this trade for quite a while, and it's just super cool to see somebody who's really honed a skill, honed a craft, and, uh, and to execute like that. I think it's incredible. Well, guys, men, in the same way that Steve is aiming for a target, and he's worked hard for years to shoot like that, we, men, need to aim for the target the Lord has given us. One thing I was talking to Steve about beforehand is... Um, the only thing he has control over is what he's doing here. He doesn't get any control over that target, what it looks like, how it's shaped, any of that. All that is preset. And in the same way, all that we come to with the target is preset for us by God. Um, I want us to see a couple of things today, men in particular. I'm going to speak directly to the men um, today. One thing I want you to see is that the target of manhood is not a mystery. It's not a mystery. It's clearly defined for us in the Bible. One of the places in Scripture that we're going to read today that gives us some clear portraits for manhood is in Titus 2. So if you'll take your Bible. Ladies, we're going to give a lot of attention next week to biblical womanhood. But today, um, we're going to deal with manhood. So would you look with me at Titus chapter 2? We're going to take some select passages from this chapter and a little bit from chapter 3. And as, uh, as we do, we stand in honor of God's word. So would you stand with me as we read from Titus chapter 2? And we're going to bounce through the chapter. So I'll give you verse numbers as we go. I'm going to start at the beginning. So please, as we read, men in particular, look carefully at what the Lord is saying to you. But as for you, teach what accords with sound doctrine. Older men are to be sober minded, dignified, self-controlled, 
sound in faith, in love, and in steadfastness. Skip down to verse 6, please. Verse verse 6 says, Likewise, urge the younger men to be self-controlled. And then we pick up verse 11. Here's the gospel grace that motivates all of those behaviors. Verse 11. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people and training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession, who are zealous for good works. Declare these things, exhort and rebuke with all authority. Let no one disregard you. Look down, if you will, in chapter 3. I want you to pick up in verse 3. So the gospel of grace makes us new people, new creations, as Pedro read. And verse 3 begins that story. It says, For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to our various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God, our Savior, appeared, he saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Let's pray. Our Father, our desire today is to get a clear picture of your target for manhood. For us to reject all the things that are of the old life. Lawlessness, ungodliness, worldly passions. For for us to put those things in our past and embrace the men that you've saved us to be. Lord, we thank you for your grace of salvation and we pray now that it would be grace to train us. God, that that you would raise up some men in this room. Please, Lord, raise up some men to be all that you've called us to be. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You can be seated. So from this text, I'm really wanting to dig into some marks, biblical marks of Mature manhood. Uh, Before we go there, we at least need to clarify and to establish that God absolutely distinguishes between men and women. Somebody want to agree with that? God absolutely distinguishes between men and women on the surface, just right on the surface of this text. Doesn't take a lot of, you know, digging into the depths of the Greek language or anything. What, What you see here is that Paul says men should be like this. Women should be like this. There's there's some distinctives in how he's describing the way we should live. And it's distinguished based on your manhood or womanhood. God designed men and women to be different. Equal in worth and value. But distinctly different in role and responsibility. 
The shift of our culture today is to blur the lines between men and women and to pretend there's no distinction. We, we even uh, are seeing today uh, pregnant man emojis coming up on, on your text. Pregnant man emojis. Now, we have five children, and I have never signed up for that job. <laughs> never will, right? I don't think my wife will anymore either, but... Our culture today, our culture today is turning a blind eye to simple biology and anatomy. But just to be clear, when we talk about manhood, we're not talking about plumbing. We're talking about the heart of a man. So our culture is turning a blind eye to biology and anatomy. It's also giving a stiff arm to our creator. Maybe you're thinking when you look at. The trend of our culture today, maybe you're thinking, I can't believe this is actually happening. I can't believe this is where we are. This ship is sinking. If you're thinking that, think about this. When the Titanic struck the iceberg and water began to fill the hull of the ship, I'm sure there were those on board who were thinking, no way this ship will sink. It's huge. It's so well built. Like, I was just eating and dancing in the ballroom. I remember in the movie, the Titanic movie, there's a stringed orchestra playing. Anybody remember this scene? Stringed orchestras playing while everybody's scurrying and loading life rafts. That image is kind of burned in my mind about how the church has been floating along in the recent years. We should not be so surprised by where we are. We live in a broken world. But we can no longer just play our songs and pretend this is not happening. So to accept all the gender confusion of this world today and other satanic lies is to reject God and the truth of his word. So having said all that, men today, the scripture has us in the crosshairs like we are the target of the text today. And there is an upright way for men to live. The Bible's way of manhood is not debatable. It's not subjective. It's not based on opinion and it's certainly not interchangeable. So God sets his standard and he calls us to devote ourselves to it. We only get to control this part of it, right? We get to aim and shoot. We don't get to set the target. God does that. So when Paul gives Titus instructions on how older men are to live, let me just do a little little bit of teaching as we dig in. He says older men are to be like this. And I was doing a little research to see what, what does he mean by older? Well, in the Greek, the word older means Older. <laughs> you guessed it, right? Real, you know, mysterious, right? It just means older, you know. No. Um, so I was looking at other usages for this. And Paul uses this same word when he's getting near the end of his life. He's in his late 60s and he's saying, my time is about done and I'm, I need to pass the torch. I'm getting older. In Luke chapter 1, verse 18, uh, Zechariah uses the same word about himself. When, uh, when the Lord told Zechariah and Elizabeth they were going to have a baby, which would be John the Baptist, um, Zechariah says, how can these things be? For I am an old man. Same word, right? So the, the, the wording here 
Older men, Paul's saying, he's actually speaking to our, our older brothers. Men, I would say 55. If you can buy a senior adult coffee, this is for you, right? <laughs> this is who he's targeting. He's targeting these guys who are maybe 55 and older, be my guess. And when he says younger men, he's speaking to men who have uh, hit that line of bar mitzvah. So about 13 years old and fill in the gap, 13 to 30 to 50, right? So we have this division, older men and younger men. And we're given some specific teachings to each of them. When Paul says older men, he's targeting men who have lived a lot of life. Russ and I didn't talk about this, but what he said uh, just a few moments ago is super important. Because these are men who have so much to offer as leaders among God's people. And yet today, the church seems to be pushing the older generation to the side to say, you know, hang around with us, but just be over there and be quiet. And that is the most unwise thing we could ever do. We need the wisdom of our elders, of those who have lived the life. Paul's talking about men who have worked hard to provide for a family. They've been fired or lost a job. They've moved up. They've hired or fired men for their jobs. These are men who have suffered loss. They've buried parents. They've maybe buried their own children. These are men who've climbed the mountaintops and they've fallen into valleys. They have calluses. They have scars. They have wrinkles and gray hair if they have hair. Gray beards. These men have the kind of wisdom that can only be gained through experience. And Paul is saying, Titus, as you go to build the structure and you you go to build build a church here to, to make it healthy, start with the old men. Isn't that a unique strategy in today's times? The focus of this scripture, though, isn't on the variety of these men's experiences. Listen, it's on the consistent godly character that's cultivated through it all. It's not about how you've lived. It's how God has shaped you along the way. So if you're an older man, this text is straight at you. Every word of this is for you. And if you are a young man, 13 years and older, set your sights on these attributes. Look to the target of where you want to be at 55 or 60 or 65 years old and let the older future you look back and say, hey, man, don't do that. Do this. Set your sights on who you want to be as an old man and live that kind of way. Men, let me say this as we begin. Do not let the world tell you what a man looks like. Listen to your creator and look to our savior. So let's walk through our text together. If you have your notes, you can pick up with me here. I want to start by by pointing us to the standard, the standard. What I mean here is that the bullseye, the target, the this is what we're shooting for. The standard is spelled out for us. This list is concise. Paul's hitting on these words, but with each word, I think we probably need a little bit of clarification. Because I know men, right? If we, don't, if we don't know what we're aiming at, we'll, we'll never hit it. 
So if we just brush past these words without really bringing clarity to it, maybe we don't know whether we're hitting the target or not. So here we go. Paul says, men, be sober minded. A godly man has clear vision. He's sober minded, meaning his mind is not cluttered with all the what ifs and the worries and the crazies of of life. He's he's sober. There's he's not under the influence of anything else. Certainly alcohol, drugs, those kinds of things. But beyond that, right, those kinds of things tend to inebriate our thinking. But so does lust. So does pride. So does greed. Men, think about it. When you're under the influence of greed, you will make bad decisions in business. When you're under the influence of lust, you will do bad things with your eyes and your body. When you're under the influence of pride, you will say things you should not say. And Paul is saying here, older men, the target for older and younger is be sober minded. This man makes decisions without being under the influence of youthful passions, youthful lust, greed, insecurity. Go on, go on, go on. An old man. Listen, this is why we need our old men is because they're settled in who they are. Their identity and personal worth is no longer in the decision. They can make a decision without being like, whoa. My whole world's going to come crumbling down if that's wrong. And because of that, they have incredible clarity that we young men need to see. And this old man who's sober minded, his priorities are clear. Because a young man, it's hard to it's hard to keep in mind. What's the real what's my real priority? Because of that, he's not easily distracted. He's not easily detoured. He's decisive when he makes a decision. He follows through on his decision. This is sober minded. And Paul says, be sober minded. Secondly, he says, be dignified. Be dignified. Godly men are worthy of honor and respect. This word dignified means they're to be honored, to be respected, to be revered. And the reason is because they don't sink into celebrating or enjoying immaturity, vulgarity, perversions. Let's just put it this way. They're not silly. The old man is no longer amused by the things that would amuse a 17 year old. It's not that he doesn't have a sense of humor. It's just he's learned what's funny and what's not. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 13, when I was a child, I spoke like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. And there are some men today who are boys in grown up bodies that need to put away childish things and be dignified. A dignified man is a man you... You come along beside and you want to walk taller. You just want to be better because he's just here. And he, he just has this persona that is inspiring. Paul is essentially saying, grow up, act your age. 
Your honor and your dignity should inspire younger men toward maturity. It should not comfort them in their silliness. So he's calling for us not to be prude Pharisees, but to be war-torn soldiers that have maybe just too many scars to forget them. So men who have fought the fight come out dignified on the other side. Be dignified. Next one. Be self-controlled. Be self-controlled. So this is an attribute that will get more attention as we walk through the letter. This is the one uh, attribute that he repeats with younger men. He says it also about women and younger women. He's he's very specific about this idea of self-control. It's not only the target for older men. It's really for all of us. Uh, with, With Titus and the elders up in chapter one. Really with all of us. So it's a significant mark of maturity. So essentially, what is it to be self-controlled? We could dig real deep, but we'll just stay on the surface here. Um, it means that you curb your, your appetites, your impulses are curbed. You've learned that when God sets boundaries, it's for your good. It's not limiting your joy. It's actually enabling your joy. Because you've learned that, you, you, you able, are able to curb some of the impulses and appetites that you may have had as a younger man. Um, someone once said, self-control and discipline is choosing what you want most over what you want now. I think that's a really helpful way of looking at this. We're we're trusting God for a future that we want and we're depriving ourselves of something we want right now that is not good. So self-control. The other thing about this is you've grown in maturity to the place where you don't need, you know, mommy coming in to say, hey, hey, don't do that. Don't do that. You've grown in your own personal discipline where you're able to self-control. You've brought your body under discipline, self-control. There's a lot more we could say, but Paul goes on to say, be sound in faith. These last three are strung together with this idea of being sound. What does he mean when he says be sound in something? Um, He means um, healthy, whole. There's no impurity. There's no mixture this, this is something that is perfectly whole and healthy and pure. So when he says be sound in faith, what he means is that your faith should have no mixture of error. What you believe, you should know, older men, you should know what you believe and why you believe it. So what does this mean? What, what's the path to that? The only path to, to that is that you must be a student of the Bible. Like you have to know the book to know what you believe and why you believe it. Men, we need to be having deep conversations with one another about the Bible, about Jesus, about doctrine. I feel like when I say doctrine, some some guys kind of glaze over and they go, well, at least I know he's not talking about me now. No, like. Men, Paul starts the need for maturity and health in the church by saying, men, this is who you need to be. Why is it that 
men could give you all the statistics for a star quarterback or their basketball team or this great pitcher. And they know they know all the details. They've studied. They've researched. They want to have a, a well-educated opinion. Or maybe you're not into athletics, but you know something about bow and arrow or you know something about hunting season or, you know, men, we are experts at whatever we choose to be an expert at. And when Paul says, be sound in the faith, he's limiting your focus as a born again believer to say, know what you believe, know who you believe, know why you believe it. Sound in faith. The scripture talks about this in many places. Paul says some pretty harsh things. He says, I, I wish I could. I wish I could teach you deeper things. I, I wish that you were able to eat spiritual steak right now. But I still have to feed you off the bottle. That's an indictment of immaturity. And so Paul is speaking to Titus and he's saying these older men need to be sound in faith. Don't settle for less men. Give your mind to digging into the Bible. What you'll discover there will will open your mind up to like this is the most incredible thing. If you're if you're born again. I wonder what would God do in your home, men? If your wife and children saw you study the Bible. And if you began to lead them based off the principles and truths of Scripture, rather than just at your own whim. I wonder, church, what our church would be like if men would be men in this way. If there were. 20 men or a room full of men who were committed to the truth of Scripture and were standing firm on the word of God to say, I want to lead, I want to be a leader in this church according to this truth, according to this word. I wonder what God would do. May it be so, Lord. Be sound in faith. Then he, then he goes on. Be sound in love, in love. So here, I think simply just saying your love needs to be pure, needs to be genuine. Um, in Romans 12, Paul said it this way. Let love be genuine. In Philippians chapter two, I love the way Paul writes about Timothy. He's about to send Timothy somewhere and he says, I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. And then he compares Timothy to others. He says, for they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But, you know, Timothy, he's been with me like a son. I, I love the way Paul writes about Timothy. He's saying he had he is sound in love. Men. We have to rid ourselves of the impurities of our love for one another. Our loves for our wives and our children. Like there should be no ulterior motives. Love must be pure in that it's willing to do at least these two things, exhort and rebuke, both positive affirmation and negative reinforcement. Like just think about with children, if love is impure, if it's not pure in these ways, if you're not positively affirming your children, well, then they're beat down, they're, 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 they're discouraged, their identity is a little bit off kilter. Or if you're not negatively disciplining your children, which I still think is positive. But if you're not disciplining your children and, and keeping them out of the gutters, well, then you're in trouble too, right? Love has to have this incredible balance, but it must be pure and willing to do both positive and negative 
in the church is the same, right? We have to, as brothers and sisters in Christ, be able and willing to say hard things to each other. To correct each other when we're in sin. In love. Like the motive is pure. I have genuine concern for your welfare that when I say something to you, it's because I want good for you, not harm. And vice versa. When you rebuke me, and I need it, I trust that it's from a heart that loves me. Let love be genuine. Be steadfast. This word we don't use a lot. Maybe you have a different translation, but endure, persevere, finish. Listen, guys, men, real men, godly men, finish what they start. We finish what we start. There's dedication, there's resolve, there's commitment that isn't wavering. I think about young men today, the generation just beneath me, super committed. Well, until something better comes along. You know, real quick to say, yeah, I'll be there. And then they're not. And you're like, hey, why aren't you here? And they're like, well, you know, they invited me to the movies. You're like, But you said you, you, you like said you'd be here. We need men who are committed to finish. Resolved. I think about Caleb in Scripture. Two guys, Joshua and Caleb, you know their story. Uh, the, these are the two guys who said, the Lord promised we could take the land. We can take the land. He's promised it to us. Doesn't matter that there's giants there. It's flowing with milk and honey. We can take the land. Well, they were outnumbered. The people said, no, we're not going to take the land. And for 40 years, they wandered in the wilderness because of that. And everybody died except for Joshua and Caleb. And I love what the scripture says in, in uh, I think it's in Joshua 14. 40 years have passed. And 85 year old Caleb. Listen, he's 85 years old. He says, I'm still alive. I'm still strong. The Lord's promise is still faithful. We're going to take that land. And he and Joshua go to the land. He says, Joshua, I want that mountain. You read it for yourself. It's exciting. He's like, I want that mountain. Can you just picture this guy? I'm going to get that mountain. (laughs) I mean, I love it. Like, I'm like, yes, this guy's a finisher. There's nothing stopping him. We need some old men and young men who are on the path to becoming this way. But we need some old men who, who haven't bought into the idea that they've served their time and they're done. Or haven't bought into the idea that there's no place for them in today's church. It's a lie. We need you. Desperately. The world wants to sell you this thing that your your final years should be spent on self-indulgence. And Jesus would say, no. Live it for me. How about it, older men? Will you be a finisher for Christ? Now, this is not an exhaustive list in Titus, but it's a great start. What we've seen is the standard spelled out, but I want to to show you how it's lived out in Jesus. We're going to move quickly through these. Jesus, the Savior. So we've seen the standard. Now we see the Savior. He's the true man. Jesus is the portrait of manhood. He is the portrait of manhood. You want to see what a man looks like? Look at Jesus. When I was a kid, uh, one of my cousins had this poster hanging on his, on his wall in his room. It was a poster of Bo Jackson. And uh, every time I'd come to his house, I'd go in his room and I would look at that poster and I'd be like, 
Because it was Bo, it was black and white. Bo Jackson, you know, he's a star athlete in several sports. This is in the days when he was playing uh, for the Kansas City Royals baseball and um, the Raiders in the NFL. Anybody, you know who I'm talking about? Everybody with me on Bo Jackson? Okay, star Auburn. Anyway, so uh, it's a black and white poster, and he's wearing his football pads, uh, football pants, no shirt, muscles are everywhere, and uh, shoulder pads, and he's got a baseball bat over his. Has somebody seen this picture? Okay, I just want to. So I used to look at that picture, and I'd be like, oh, man, i got to do some push-ups. You know, it was just like, for me, this guy was like the portrait of manhood. I just wanted to do push-ups and flex in the mirror. This, I was a kid. So when you think about biblical manhood, I want you to think about the poster, the portrait. The poster child of biblical manhood is not Samson and all his muscles and long hair. He was actually a failure. The poster child is not King David who's, who slaughtered Goliath. He also utter failure. The poster child for manhood is the Lord Jesus Christ. And we look to him as the, as the picture of manhood. He's the hero we worship and the one we long to be like. In Romans, Paul reminds us that because of the failures of Adam the original man, we all die. So all your problems, men, are because of Adam. But in Jesus, the second Adam, we have real and abundant and eternal life. And all our victories are in him. In every way that Adam failed and every man after him has failed, Jesus never fails. He is the portrait of the true man. I want you to look at what Titus says about him or what Paul writes to Titus. He says in chapter 2, verse 14, Jesus gave himself. So he paid the debt for all men. He paid the debt for all men. He gave himself. His life, his death was all about ransoming for himself a people. The Bible says in chapter 3, verse 5, that he saves us. Listen, by his righteousness, not ours. That is good news. It's his goodness that rescues filthy sinners like me. In Jesus's earthly life, we could go through example after example. I'd encourage you to do this. But Jesus was always sober minded. So decisive that neither Satan nor Simon Peter could pull him off track. He had his eye on the target. Jesus is perfectly dignified. Just being around him made you want to be a better man. Made you want to love your wife or take care of your children or serve people. Love children. He's dignified. Jesus is the epitome of self-control. Think about the moment they came to arrest him. And John records that with just a few words, he spoke words and this this mob of soldiers is knocked flat like he had the power. He knocks them flat with just this confession, this profession of who he is. I am. That's what he says. They, they fall over. Then they rally to their feet. Jesus surrenders himself. Peter draws a sword. Jesus puts the guy's ear back on. And then teaches Peter, you live by the sword, you die by the sword. You guys ready to take me in? The self-control of Jesus. Totally in control of every circumstance. 
self-control. Jesus was sound in faith. He was genuine in his love. There was never a question whether or not he loved you. And he was definitely a finisher of everything he set out to do. I love his words from the cross, right? It is what? Yeah, finished. He didn't stop halfway. He didn't, he didn't get a better appointment. He didn't, he didn't have somebody call and be like, let's go do something. No, he set out to do it and he didn't quit till it was done. We praise God, Jesus paid our debt. He gives the power for manhood. Men, clue in right here because I feel like whenever uh, Mother's Day comes around, we give moms roses. We talk about how wonderful they are and how without moms, like the world would fall apart. And then Father's Day comes and we're like, what's wrong with you, man? You know, like that's how we beat each other up. You know, you should be. Anyway, you need to hear what I'm saying right here. Jesus gives the power for manhood. Listen, listen, this is not simply a call to do better. It's a reminder that Jesus redeemed us from who we were. The man that you used to be before Christ is not who you are anymore. We were once foolish, Paul wrote to Titus, right? Chapter three, we were once foolish. We were disobedient. We we were consumed with worldly passions. We were hating each other. That's who we were, but he saved us. So how do you change? How do you become sober minded? How do you become dignified? Well, you abide in the one who lived perfectly. You yield your life to the power of his spirit. Now, that sounds super spiritual, so let me just really simplify it. When I say yield your life to the power of the Spirit, what I'm saying is you allow, allow the Holy Spirit to take the lead. You allow God to lead. Allow. All right, so let me just simplify even more. Think about those letters, A-L-L-O-W. Here's what I mean, men. First, admit your weakness. If you don't start there, the rest of it's a mess. You need to be able to say, this is who I was. Foolish. I was an absolute idiot. My wife would agree, right? I was an ogre, cruel, mean, spoke this way. This is who I was. But by the grace of God, I'm not like that anymore. And he's progressively changing me. But I'm still not finished. I admit my weakness. Admit your weakness. Then you look to Christ. You look to Christ for your standard. Don't look to the world. Don't let anybody else tell you how you need to live. You look to Jesus. Read the word. Look at who he is and go, that's what manhood looks like. That's who I'm setting out to be. You look to him as your standard. You look L-A-L-L. You look to him for strength. This is not a message where I'm saying, come on, guys, pick yourself up and do right. This is a message where I'm saying, look to Christ. The same one who rescued your wretched heart will change the rest of you too. That's the goodness of the grace of God. His grace didn't stop the moment you prayed and asked for salvation. Every day he's like, okay, how can we we make him more into the man that I want him to be? So look to him for strength. So admit your weakness. Look to him for your standard. Look to him for strength. Oh, his own Your role and responsibility. Own it. 
Don't give it to anybody else. Don't burden your wife with who you're supposed to be. Don't burden anyone else with who God's called you to be. Own your role and own your responsibility. And W, allow. W, super simple. Win the day. Man, we need small victories. We get swamped when we start looking way downrange. We just need to be, okay, I just got to pull this. I just got to pull this right, right now. This is, this is what I'm focused on. Win the day. Whatever it is that you can achieve and accomplish for Christ in the sanctifying work of who you are, win the day. Win that moment. Win that thing. Give that thing to Christ. Maybe you look at this portrait and you're like, I'm nothing like that. Well, just start today with something. Win the day. Allow. Allow God's spirit to lead you. So that's the Savior. Let's look at the strategy quickly. The strategy is to become like Jesus. It's simple, men. That's our objective is to be like Jesus. In chapter 3, verse 8, he says this, um, that, that these, these people who have come to faith may be careful to devote themselves to good works. So here's your strategy for becoming like Jesus. Twofold. First, devote yourself. Devote. What does devote mean? What does it mean? I want to give you some words to flesh it out. Trying to be real practical today. Here's what it means. Commitment. Commitment. It means conviction. And it means consistency. Let's walk through those real quick. Commitment. Men, we are too wishy-washy. We, I, don't know, I don't know how else to say that. We, we have a fear of commitment. When you devote yourself, you resolve to be a man who's committed. What you say, you do. Give yourself to the things that truly matter. Don't look back. Jesus said a couple of things that are pertinent right here. He said, um, any man who puts his hand to the plow and looking back is what? Not fit for the kingdom. That's right. So we've got to stop looking back, men. Put our hands to the plow. What has God given us to do? Let's do it. Commitment. Jesus also said, let your yes be yes and your no be no. When you say yes, let it be yes. Follow through. Commitment. Conviction. Coming back to this. What do you believe? Like if we sat down and I just asked you straight up, tell me what you believe. How long could you talk? Are you devoted to a life that reflects your convictions? And are those convictions founded in the Bible? Exactly what Russ said. Your life actually shows what you believe. What you really believe is how you live. A man of conviction lives a godly life because he's believing in the sound doctrine. Consistency. This is what it means to devote yourself consistently. Consistency. So practically, um, good leadership is predictable. Good leadership is predictable. Here's what I mean by that. The people around you don't need to be guessing. If you're going to wake up today, totally different from the way you were yesterday. Consistency. Our wives, our children, men. This church needs your consistency, that you would be 
predictably devoted. Last thing. He says, devote yourself. And then this whole letter is the portrait of discipling young men. Disciple young men. The whole letter. That's the point of it, right? He's writing to Titus so that Titus will disciple others. So we often say that the youth and children are the future generation. That they're the church of tomorrow. Well, Paul knows that, right? But he doesn't start by telling Titus to focus on the kids and the youth. He starts by saying, look at the old men. Go to the old men. That's his strategy is to engage the older men first. These godly men can then um, guide young men to, to see the target, to soak in the Savior, and to stay the course for the long haul. These older men are key. They're pivotal to discipling younger men. In the few years that I've been pastoring here, God has blessed us with some older people. And I am so thankful that we have some men and women of age. (laughs) They're such a gift to our fellowship. Like, I love seeing them serve. I love seeing them lead. I love their appetite to learn and to grow. Even in their older years, they're not retired from Jesus. I love that. I love the testimony of those who've been following Christ for 40, for 50, for 60 years. And they say, he's faithful, he's faithful, he's faithful. I love that because I need it. We need these people. I love we have some older people in our fellowship that are new believers. So though they're old, they're brand spanking new. And I love their hunger for Christ. I love the passion to not waste whatever time is left. So older men. Let me finish with these exhortations. Don't be lured in by the recliner and the remote. <laughs> don't, don't buy the lie that, you've, that all you've lived for is to buy you this little bit of time where you can collect seashells and play shuffleboard. Those are good things, but that's not your life. God wants you to give your legacy years to building his kingdom. Don't waste your life. Be devoted to making disciples. And young men, young men, listen real quick. Set your sights on being a godly old man. Set your sights on that today. Listen and learn from those who've walked ahead of you. Give yourself to this mission. Again, fellas, the call is not to a white-knuckled effort. It's not about effort today. So much as it's about trusting Christ.